2: Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey y'all, All All right, so we've got a new episode in the works for y'all that's coming next week as scheduled. But since it is the last Friday of the month, I figured why not make it a freaky Friday and throw a couple ghost stories your way courtesy of some independent paranormal podcasts. You see, last month I took part in a little campfire storytelling round to celebrate They're Not Shadows 100th episode. And so I thought, well, why not put it out over here on our feed as well, so you can enjoy some of those tales. After all, there is some great storytelling in here. So y'all, just sit back, relax, turn them lights out, and enjoy some good old-fashioned ghost stories. (laughs)
4: Jennifer and I host Haunted Happenstance, a creepy and quirky little audio drama set in a historic residence in Boston, Massachusetts. You see, I've always loved a good ghost story, and as it turns out, ghosts have always loved me too. Convenient? Maybe. Coincidence? Perhaps. But I think it's a bit more than that. Let's see if you agree. So sit back and get ready to join me and my neighbors for some truly spooky tales that can only be explained as haunted happenstance. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts. I stared at the clock on my bedside. It was 11.56pm on Monday, September 30th, 2019, four minutes away from October the 1st. Sure, I was looking forward to the month, even more so for real fall to hopefully creep in, but I was not looking forward to what else I knew would be creeping in at exactly midnight. I stared out into the all but black space that was our lofted condo, the slightest sliver of hazy light slipping in under the front door from the perma-lit brick hallway, and I just clicked my tongue lightly, almost mimicking a countdown ticker. At least this year I had a plan. I was pretty certain it wouldn't last the whole month, but any day that it did work was one more day and night that I could breathe a little easier, and heaven forbid, actually enjoy my favorite month for once. Although I couldn't see it in the dark, I knew that just out of reach was a small tote bag, complete with a few basic necessities and a few extra things that hopefully wouldn't be necessary at all, short of a horrific emergency, but better safe than sorry. 11.59. Perfect. So close. I held my breath in anticipation and watched as the numbers flicked over to 12 o'clock. I exhaled and tried to slip my legs out of bed without disrupting either of the snoozers. Luckily John could sleep through the apocalypse and Sophie was pretty much deaf, at least when it suited her. I reached down in the dark and that my fingers slipped through the handles of the prepacked bag and turned to my side. I waved to the dirty blonde boy in his late teens, his dirt-smeared light green t-shirt and lightly torn dungarees, the same as they always were. I tilted my head towards the kitchen, beckoning him to follow me, and he did, without sound or question. I turned our front doorknob as slowly as possible and opened it just enough so I could slip out into the hall without the hinges breaking their creaking halfway point. Holding onto the external handle, I let the door slide naturally back into the threshold and then turned to the boy. In the bright lights of the hall, the smallest trickle of dried blood could be seen emerging from the part in his crumpled hair. He wore only one shoe, a muddy, red, original low-top Chuck Taylor, his right foot bare, filthy and scratched. Thankfully, we didn't have to go far, and even more thankfully, I was pretty sure he couldn't feel anything anyway. I motioned for him to follow me, I adjusted the bag on my shoulder, and we headed down the fourth floor hall in the direction of the back elevator. Stopping short a few doors of it, I looked at him with the warmest smile I had in my repertoire, made sure my eyes were light and genuine, and finally spoke. Don't worry, you'll be okay, I promise. He nodded and stood more primly. I cleared my throat and straightened my own posture to mirror his, and I knocked my fist solidly against one of my neighbor's doors. When no sound or movement came from the other side, I brought my knuckles back together and this time, knocked with a more pleasant cadence. Some shuffling and stumbling was immediately audible, along with a mumbled curse or two, and within a moment, the door opened slowly, uncertainly, and revealed a half-asleep, middle-aged man, my neighbor, Benjamin. I think it was safe to say that seeing me outside his door at midnight was perplexing to him, but nowhere near as disorienting as when his eyes fell to my companion, I sighed a little, figuratively and literally. Oh good, you can see him. Hey, sorry to bother you so late, Ben, but you kept saying at the loft's last block party that you thought it was so cool that ghosts visited me, and you wished that they'd visit you too. Well, you're in luck. This fine young man right here needs somewhere to stay for the month. And, unfortunately, I just don't have the space for him this year. Benjamin tore his eyes off of me as I spoke, and stared instead to the lad to my side. Half in amazement, half in terror. I figured I ought to wrap things up quickly, lest he wake up enough to scream, or worse, Tell me and my friend to beat it. I handed over the bag that I carried. Here's everything you should need to get through. And if you have any questions, just text, okay? Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. At that, I ducked backwards a few steps and headed back home. I tiptoed back into our condo and snuck into bed, impressed that I'd completed the delivery in less than seven minutes flat. Feeling hopeful, a little nervous, but mostly tired. I sighed heavily as I wiggled deeper into my pillow. John rolled over, eyes still half closed, and asked if everything was okay. I nodded. Yeah, it's all good. Go back to sleep, baby doll. He looked at the clock and asked through a yawn, Where's Christian? as he settled his head back down. I brought him to Benjamin's for the month. I think it's a good match. Even in the darkness, I could tell that John had brought a hand up and over his eyes. Chen, you can't just loan people ghosts. He was poking fun at you when he said he wanted to see them too. I shrugged my shoulders, rolled onto my side, and as I fell into a happy, relieved, and slightly less haunted sleep, I mumbled, Well, I guess the joke's on him this time.
5: Hello, my name is Emma, and I am the host of Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Real Life Ghost Stories is a podcast that covers all sorts of spooky stuff, all sorts of spooky goodness. Every Sunday I do a deep dive into a famous paranormal case or claim and every Wednesday and Friday I release a mini episode that is chock full of listener stories. The story that you are going to hear from Real Life Ghost Stories podcast comes from episode number 181 The Connecticut Dolls which is all about an old poltergeist story that I unearthed in my travels and I hope you enjoy it. Mesmerism is not a term that we use particularly regularly in today's modern parlance. But in the 18th century, it was all the rage and was at the forefront of contemporary psychology. The technique was popularised in the 1700s by Franz Anton Mesmer and was used as a way to cure people of various ailments. Mesmer believed that animal magnetism was the key to this cure, And the procedure involved the application of magnets to the part of the patient's body that was affected by the particular ailment. And then the patient would be put into a trance-like state by gazing into their eyes and making what he called magnetic passes over them with his hands. It was so popular that the words mesmerised and variations of it have stuck around and eventually... Mesmerism was superseded by what we now know as hypnotism. The reason we have to start here is that I need to explain to you what kind of man Reverend Eliakim Phelps was. It was 1850, and Reverend Phelps was a very well respected man, but he was also a great believer in all things paranormal, which in 1850 would not have been wholly unusual. He was a practitioner of mesmerism and would cure people of various ailments using the method. So it's safe to say that the forces of good and evil and non-scientific reasons for various phenomena were a pretty substantial part of his life. Later in life, Reverend Phelps had married for a second time and the woman he married was a widow with four children. The children were a girl aged 16, a boy aged 11 A girl aged six and another boy aged three. And our story begins on the 10th of March 1850. It was a Sunday in Stratford, Connecticut, and the weather was beginning to turn. You could feel a tiny hint of warmth in the crisp spring air and a breeze blustered as the Phelps family made their way home after church. People of the town called their greetings and blessings to the reverend and his family as they made their way home. The second that the reverend opened the door to their home, he realised that something was very wrong. Their house had been ransacked and his heart sank as he realised that someone must have broken into the house while the family was at church. He urged his family to wait at the door and as they craned their necks to see the carnage inside... He took a slow, cautious step into the house, feeling a mixture of panic and confusion, but trying to remain calm and clear-headed. He worried that the perpetrator would be inside. Was it someone who was looking for something? Maybe someone passing through the town and saw an opportunity, or someone who bore a grudge against him or his family? But surely that was impossible, As he made his way from room to room, the different possible scenarios vied for attention in his head. Each room had been ransacked, with furniture flung around and the contents of drawers and cupboards strewn all over the floors. He moved through the house, room by room, and he placed the palm of his hand on a door and slowly pushed it open to survey the damage. But what he saw in that room made him catch his breath. He held the door open, not daring to take a step inside while his brain tried to comprehend what he was seeing. In the room, a scene had been painstakingly created and for a brief moment, he thought that the room was full of women. Real women. But they weren't real. These women were dolls, well almost like dolls. They were women that had been painstakingly fashioned out of clothes and items of fabric that were clearly belonging to the Phelps family home. The women were littered around the room in poses of extreme devotion, on their knees praying, some with their arms out and their foreheads touching the floor. Some of the figures were kneeling with Bibles open in front of them. Phelps stepped into the room and looked at the Bible verses, immediately desperate for some clue as to what was happening here. The Bibles were all opened on pages with verses that seemed to reference paranormal phenomenon. As the Reverend surveyed the scene, he counted that there were ten female figures and one male. And then something else. Something in the middle of the circle of worship that was not like the others. It was a small, goblin-like creature. Smaller than the others and truly grotesque. And suspended above it was an even smaller figure. Like a puppet. Phelps stepped backwards out of the room and shut the door. It's hard to imagine how any of us would respond in that situation. The family had been at church, all together, and someone had somehow entered their home and ransacked it, but had also created this elaborate and strange tableau. Whatever had happened, he needed to figure it out for the safety of his family. And what he did next is the reason that we even know this story today. He got other learned people involved in an attempt to solve the mystery. His first port of call was a man named Dr. Webster, another well-respected man in the community who knew both the Reverend and his family. Dr. Webster ended up being so struck by the events of the next 18 months that he wrote extensively about it in the New Haven Journal and Courier. A watch was set up to try and establish who was responsible for these events. But the figures continued to appear. Rooms that were closed and monitored would suddenly have these figures appear inside them. Webster noted that the figures were made from materials that were gathered from all over the house and that so many figures were constructed in such a small space of time that it would have taken several people working steadily for several hours to pull it off. The figures varied from being beautiful and grotesque and were always arranged in some sort of scene It is estimated that during this period of time, approximately 30 individual intricate figures were created. One of the Phelps' sons was led into one of the rooms to survey the scene and ran straight to what he believed was his mother kneeling in prayer in the room. As he grabbed her joined hands, he reeled back in shock as the material crumpled in his little hands and he realised that it wasn't his mother at all but yet another figurine that despite being made from fabric was lifelike enough to fool him. They were made with great skill and care and didn't seem to be thrown together in a haphazard fashion. The fact that this child could mistake one of these figures for his own mother demonstrates how accurate and lifelike they actually were. And the figures weren't the only disturbance in the house webster wrote in his report of the events that quote for about 18 months violent movements and disturbances were renewed with extreme frequency and force objects of all kinds were thrown around the house by what seemed to be invisible hands window panes were broken and great damage was done to the walls and furnishings of the home wrappings were constantly heard And these sometimes gave intelligent and sometimes blasphemous answers to questions that were asked. It seemed from Webster's report that the Phelps family were at war with something disturbing, invisible and otherworldly. And something that desperately wanted to communicate with them and would go to any lengths to do so. But life had to continue as normal for the Phelps family too. In all of the worry about the strange events in the home, life goes on. Reverend Phelps needed to continue his work and his writings. The children needed to be fed and educated and the household needed to be ran efficiently. Reverend Phelps sat alone in his office writing, hunched over his desk. The only sound was the furious scratching of his pen as he worked diligently, his hand racing across the pages. The house was calm and quiet which seemed like a luxury these days. And for once he allowed his mind to focus on his work rather than the horror of the invisible aggressor that had moved in with them. He briefly stopped writing, paused for a second in his chair before standing up and moving to his impressive array of books that sat on his shelves. He ran his finger along them before settling on a book and taking it down. As he opened it, he became aware of another sound in the room other than the rustle of turning pages. It was the scratching of his pen on the paper. He turned around and there was no one in his seat and the pen was lying lifeless where he had left it. But when he approached his desk, cautiously he realised that his page was now covered in writing that wasn't there a mere minute before. The Reverend ran his fingers softly over the newly formed words and the ink stained his fingers. It was not yet dry. This was finished mere seconds before and the words, the words were a strange jumble of words and phrases and symbols that he didn't understand. It was the words and symbols that were a repeated pattern but none of the family or observers could have expected what happened next as the invisible aggressor attempted to communicate yet again. It was again a calm and quiet evening and the family were allowing themselves to be a normal family. It was one of the children that spotted it first as he dropped to his knees to examine something that seemed to be growing from the carpet. Mother, there are plants in the carpet and there are pictures on the leaves. Mrs Phelps looked at her husband and he looked back at her. What did that possibly mean? As they looked at the carpet, they realised that green shoots had sprung up everywhere, all over the carpet. They dropped to the floor to examine the plants further and on the leaves were strange symbols. Some form of hieroglyphic style pictures that were indecipherable. None of the family spoke as they looked at the plants, all completely enraptured by what they were seeing. They didn't recognise the plants, they didn't understand what the symbols were on the leaves or how they got there. The silence was only broken when the smash of shattering glass heralded that yet something else had been hurled through a window. What is remarkable about this case is that the witness testimonies came thick and fast. One witness, named Mr. H.B. Taylor, reported that he saw the following. Quote, In my presence, the elder boy was carried across the room by invisible hands and deposited gently on the floor. A supper table was raised and tipped over when the room was completely empty to people. In one instance, the boy's clothes were cut to ribbons. In the presence of several persons, articles moved through the air and a brass candlestick fell from the mantelpiece and continued to dash itself against the floor until broken. A shovel and tong set, moved out of the fireplace and then proceeded to hop about and dance in the middle of the floor. A heavy dining room table was raised into the air and a lamp moved across the room and set fire to some papers. On a later occasion, the boy was found hung to a tree and the elder girl, while sleeping, had a pillow pressed over her head and tape tied around her neck, which nearly strangled her. Another report came from Professor Austin Phelps, who was the son of Reverend Phelps from his previous marriage. He reported that, quote, On one occasion, when Reverend Phelps was alone, walking across the room, a key and a nail flew over his head and fell at his feet. That same evening, in the presence of the whole family, turnip fell from the ceiling spoons and forks flew from the table into the air and one day six or eight spoons were taken up at once bent double by the invisible agency and thrown at those in the room on another occasion when reverend phelps was alone he was directed by the raps to put his hand under the table and his hand was grasped by what seemed to be a human hand warm and soft Most of the raps purported to come from a Frenchman named Dee, who had been a clerk for a firm of lawyers who had handled a settlement for Mrs Phelps. Dee asserted that he was in hell because he had cheated in the drawing of the settlement papers. Reverend Phelps investigated and did find that there had been fraud perpetrated, though not involving a sum sufficiently large enough to warrant a prosecution. A Reverend Charles Beecher made similar statements about the legitimacy of the case in a report published in 1879, and a man named Andrew Jackson Davis visited the family in Stratford and believed that the phenomena was the result of psychic manifestations from the eldest boy and girl in the household, although he absolutely insisted the events were paranormal. The New York Sun published an article on April 29th, 1850, In which the journalist Mr Beach reported that he was witness to the paranormal phenomena in the house. He visited the house in the early days of the events and the elder boy was sitting up in bed with a number of adults in the room investigating the phenomena. They watched as a matchbox fell from the mantelpiece with a bizarrely loud thunk. All eyes were on it as it slid across the floor and under the boy's bed. The boy began to scream and cry that he was being burned. And upon investigation, some paper under the bed had been set on fire and was burning away beneath it. Mr Beach also reported witnessing spontaneous injuries appear on the elder girl. For example, she would complain of feeling as though she was being pinched. And when she rolled up her sleeves, there were vivid red marks on her arms. The New Haven Journal also reported that they witnessed the girl being spontaneously injured, with her screaming in her bedroom, claiming that she had been slapped in the face and a large red welt appeared on her face. When the reporter watched the family try and comfort her, a porcelain jug rose from a table, floated in the air for a few seconds before being smashed on the ground with huge force. But eventually, the activity in the house began to subside. And in October 1851, around 18 months after the activity started, it stopped altogether. The response was mixed. When the stories were reported in newspapers and journals, people were quick to suggest that the children were very clearly the perpetrators of a clever hoax. But Reverend Phelps insisted that it just wasn't possible. And another witness, Reverend John Mitchell, reported that he accompanied the family to and from their home and he witnessed the house being intact upon leaving and then being ransacked when they returned. And he insisted that it was not possible that any of the family were responsible. They were all out of the house at the time. And he also claimed to have witnessed writing appearing on the walls and the clothing of the family when none of the family were in the house.
3: Audio fiction fans, y'all need to go check out The Sprouting, an eldritch horror of an actual play podcast set in an apocalyptic future where eldritch plants have taken over, magical bargains twist the fabric of reality and each survivor struggles to trust their own senses as they try to see their goals through to their ends. This podcast features an international cast, original scoring, and immersive sound design. In fact, y'all, here's a quick preview of The Sprouting, available now anywhere you get your podcasts.
6: With your long-forgotten name, we call upon you. We call upon you. In the words of
3: the
5: unspeakable language, we call upon you We call upon you By the
2: spilt blood of the wicked Who walk upon this world, sprouting the words of false idols We call upon you We call upon you On the land of the dead harvest That
5: which brings the earth itself into your service Yemal, we call upon you We call upon you
3: We call upon you We call upon you you. you. Ah, Ah, Ah. ah. Yemel
0: The
2: Sprouting, a Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast by Blighthouse Studio. Find us on your podcatcher of choice.
4: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if
2: you love the fillet fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
3: Ba 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 ba.
7: Hey, I'm Brendan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And we're the Ghost Story guys. This story comes from our episode, The Mystery of Missing Time. It's called Orange Light. My parents live in a large house in Pennsylvania that backs up to a large wooded area, and one house that sits a bit farther back than ours into the woods. The downstairs is probably 2,500 to 3,000 square feet, and there are numerous big windows, including bay windows in the living room above the blinds that look out into the woods. This probably happened about nine years ago. My sister was around 11 or 12, and I was about 20. I was watching her a couple nights while my parents were out of town. It's worth noting that my parents never went away, so I do find it odd that it happened the one time they did. It wasn't too late at night, maybe around 11, and we were sitting with every light off downstairs, specifically watching lightning bugs out those big bay windows and just talking. All of a sudden, there was a huge burst of orange light with no sound, That filled up the entire downstairs like someone had turned the lights on, but even brighter than normal. It was almost a deep orange and my first reaction was that our house or the neighbor's house behind us had caught on fire. We both got up to run outside and that's the last memory I have of that evening. I know we woke up the next day as normal, went to my old high school's basketball game and had people over after. There was absolutely no discussion about the night before. Fast forward to about two years ago, my sister, who was now about 18, and I were sitting around the kitchen center island talking. All of a sudden I got a burst of memories from that night, but only what I just mentioned above. I blurted out to my sister, wait, what happened that night with the orange light? And she immediately knew what I was talking about. Turns out she had had a memory just the night before that she didn't connect until that moment. Here we had seven years since this incident, but we both never said a word to each other, and then we both suddenly had memories within the same 24 hours. It's worth saying that my sister can be oddly psychic and just aware of things that are completely foreign or unknown to others. She also reported seeing things in our house as a kid. Her vision, or dream, from the night before was of us running out the back door, which we ran out of that evening, and there being a large, green, glowing orb on the driveway. That's where her vision ends. It wasn't until I brought up the orange light that it clicked in her head that that was that night. I guess she was viewing it as just a dream before, but in that moment she realized it was actually a memory. What's especially weird about all this is that my sister and I are very interested in the paranormal, especially things which are space related and there is absolutely no way we would have just walked back in after that odd experience and gotten in bed without any discussion. I know we would have offered many theories, as we have now, instead of just ignoring it and getting in our separate beds. What's also weird is that my sister and I both never go to bed before midnight 1am, and if I'm home we usually sleep in the same bed falling asleep watching a movie or something. Given where we woke up the next morning, I know for sure that we went to our own beds that night. I've tried to rationalize what happened, like thinking about headlights turning around in the further house's driveway, but they don't match the lights at all. I mean, this was like a nuclear explosion bright, lighting the entire downstairs a deep, deep orange. However, even more than that, I'm weirded out by our completely uncharacteristic reaction to what happened. The reason I chose that particular story out of our archive is I have had my own green light experience, and I don't know that I would say it's specifically UFO-related, but it was unusual and I don't have an explanation for it. If you'd like to know more about that, come check out me and Paul over on the Ghost Story Guys podcast, or check out my book, A Strange Little Place, The Paranormal Secrets of Revelstoke, British Columbia.
6: Hey, this is Nate.
0: And this is Melissa. And this is You Can See Me in the Dark, a podcast about true ghost stories directly from the people who experience them.
6: We have new stories out monthly with bonus content on our Patreon if you can't get enough. And we got a killer theme song. (laughs)
0: I'm Melissa Sweezy.
3: And I'm Nate Reisman. And this is You Can See Me in the Dark. in dark.
0: In our most recent episode, Noah tells a terrifying story about growing up in the most haunted house in Bristol, England. This story is about what happened after he left. You Can See Me in the Dark presents Noah.
6: I worked at a um, care home for old folks for a while, and uh, it was a very old building. Like it used to be a um, a workhouse, a Victorian workhouse, and that place was really haunted. Like, oof, I, I didn't like it there. <laughs> I really didn't like it there. There was a corridor in that in the like main building of the care home, and as soon as you walked through there was like a security door because the 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 residents had dementia so they would have doors so they couldn't just walk out you know for safety as soon as you walked through the door stood in that like corridor it was just this like horrible sensation just washes over you and everything feels heavy it's like like it's like a pressure pressing down on you and Ooh, I, I hated being in that in that corridor and um, they had had a vicar come to like bless this corridor and he had come and hung a like little wooden cross on the wall after he blessed it and every now and then for no reason at all the cross would be turned upside down or it would fall and just be on the floor and certain members of staff refused to go in that corridor they just would not go in there ever. And this corridor, there were like eight, eight, mm, yeah, eight bedrooms off of this corridor. And the the residents had these like pressure sensitive mats next to their beds, so if they got out of bed, it would set an alarm off, and we would know they'd got out of bed, so then we could go and see to them. And sometimes when I worked a night shift, me and the other staff would be sat like drinking coffee, trying to stay awake. And all of a sudden, every single alarm for every room in that corridor would all go off all at the same time. And the first time it happened, I was like, come on, we have got to get up. Everyone's awake. And one of the other staff was like, no, they're not. They're not awake. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're not. All of the alarms are going off. We need to go up there. And she's like, they're not awake. You can go up and look, but I can bet you they're all still in bed. And I was like, all right then. So I went up by myself in the dark. <laughs> turning all the lights on as I went because I was scared and I because I hated that whole way and I go into the hallway open the first door no residents in bed fast asleep turn the alarm off open the next door residents in bed fast asleep turn the alarm off and the whole time it's like beep 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 and I'm going door after door after door after door everyone is asleep in bed and I'm thinking how how are all of these alarms being set off? Like, what is setting these alarms off? But after that, like, it just was kind of like a known thing. Like, yeah, that that happens. That happens all the time, you know? There's no need to rush because nobody knows what it is, but something is just <laughs> messing with us, I guess. But that, that corridor, Another time, I was uh, putting laundry away. I used to take laundry from and take it to the wardrobes in each room. And I stopped in the end room, and like I had these huge mm, bucket, buckets or baskets of clothes, dry clothes. I leave it in the first room, and then I go to the next room. I like grab stuff, and I go into the next room. And then i hear this mighty crash and i'm thinking what in the hell what was that it sounds like someone's trashing the room next door and i'm thinking but there's no one there and i go out into the next room and i open the door and someone has grabbed these two baskets of laundry and just thrown clothes everywhere and just all over the room and i'm like what the hell? how did what did that there's no one here like there's no there's no residents. There's no staff members. Like, what the hell is going on? And I'm like, putting, grabbing all the clothes and folding them and putting them back in the basket. And while I'm doing that, I hear another sound in the room I just came from. And I'm like, someone is pranking me. Like, this is someone is absolutely pranking me right now. So I, I pull, I pull the door open, like, like oh, I go really quietly and I creep out against the door and I just swing the door open. And the clothes that i just taken into that room have been thrown everywhere. <laughs> and I just stand there and look at it, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I there's no one here. I'm on my own. Something is messing with me, and I don't know what it is, but it, it's definitely screwing with me now. Um, so I just I grabbed the clothes and stuffed them in the basket, and I took the baskets and I left and went back down to the laundry room. I was like, I'm not doing this now. This is, this is too weird. I know that it, the other weird things that happened to other staff members. Nobody said anything about this that happening to them specifically, but I know other times that staff members had gone into a room and they'd heard a noise in the next room, and when they'd gone in there, someone had opened the wardrobe and everything was on the floor. So, like, whoever or whatever was there liked making a mess and uh, seemed to enjoy watching because it would be like it would trick you to go into the other room, and while you were in that room, it would do something in the room you'd just been in. Like, yeah, it was kind of like it was pranking. It made me uncomfortable, I will say. I felt afraid. but it was almost like, like a almost like I could imagine someone being like, "Hee hee, this is so funny!" Like i they're going to go and look in the other room now, and while they're in there, I'm going to mess around in the other room. Uh, yeah, it, very strange. But uh, there was there was one story that kind of circulated amongst the staff. It was kind of like the most popular, I guess, ghost story. And it was a couple of year, years back when this the, this this hallway with the horrible sensation was actually um like a newly converted part of the building and when the when it had been converted and um decorators had come in to like paint it and you know prepare it so it could be used and the there's two guys up there working and one of them comes down to the the like main office, and it's like, I can't I can't work up here with all these children running around. They're like, they're knocking things over. They're getting in the way. Like this is dangerous. There shouldn't be kids here right now. And the the receptionist looks at him. She's like, What are you talking about? Like, there are no kids here. And he's like, No, I just saw there's like two or three kids up there, and they're running around and they're just making so much noise. Like we're trying to work here. And she's like, I really don't know why you're saying that because there are no kids here. This is an old folks' home. There are no kids. And he was like, Oh, okay. And then the next day, these two guys were supposed to come back and continue their work, but they didn't come back. I don't know. um, I've heard that the building, like, it was a workhouse, so it's possible that the children were sent there and. possibly died there possibly I know the building there was like a sort of outer outside building and it wasn't connected to the main building um where the like laundry room was and um I know that they would sleep there and sometimes late in the evening you could uh, you would hear coughing coming from somewhere I would be there on my own, like getting clean laundry and I would hear someone like really coughing like, oh my God, have they got uh, pneumonia or something. But there is no one there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a really spooky place. I think it was the, the clothes getting thrown around the room was the last straw for me because it was kind of like, not only is this scary, but it's making more work for me. <laughs> because we were stretched quite thin a lot of the time and there wasn't time to deal with these kind of mishaps. Yeah and also I really didn't like being in that corridor at night. I did not feel safe in that corridor and um, like I'm not religious but walking into that corridor at like one o'clock in the morning and seeing the cross lying on the floor is a really unsettling feeling. <laughs> I imagine for anyone, whether they're religious or not, just seeing that and being being like this. This feels uh, threatening. Um, I just, I, I, I'm glad I left.
2: Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All right, y'all. Guess what? One of my favorite true crime podcasts is coming out with an all-new season. But it's not the kind of true crime show that is filled with horrific murders or grim circumstances. It's one about the unlikely collisions between true crime and the arts. And it is called, aptly, The Art of Crime. It's hosted by my friend and trained historian, Gavin Whitehead. Now, each season, Gavin centers the show around a different theme, like In his first season, it was Jack the Ripper, but season three is titled Queen of Crime, Madame Tussaud, and the Chamber of Horrors. And y'all, it's going to be telling two stories. First, it chronicles the great Madame's long and distinguished career, kicking off in pre-revolutionary France and wrapping up in Victorian London. Each episode covers a chapter in her biography, exploring her rise to fame as well as the earth-shaking historical events that she witnessed. Second, this season charts the evolution of the Chamber of Horrors, a special showroom in her wax museum that displayed effigies of notorious criminals. So y'all, I hope you will take a chance on Gavin's new season of The Art of Crime, because I'm not kidding when I tell you I'm actually a Patreon supporter of this show myself, and I just think he does such great work and has such a fresh approach to storytelling. So what are you waiting for? Go subscribe or follow or listen or whatever it is you're supposed to do to The Art of Crime. That is The Art of Crime. I hope y'all dig it.
8: Hello, listeners. My name's Kev, and I'm the host of We Need to Talk About Ghosts. You can see what I've done there. It's meant to be We Need to Talk About Kevin. I've removed the word Kevin and added ghosts, because that's the sort of humour and wit you can expect. Yes, very low. Anyway, if you're into the paranormal, as you clearly are, because you're listening to this show, head over to wherever you get your podcast from and search We Need to Talk About Ghosts. And hopefully you'll like it. You might not, and that's fine too, because we're all just living on a spinning crazy rock. Anyway... Each week we read out some of our true listener ghost stories, we review something paranormal, doesn't matter what it is, could be an egg, if it was a paranormal egg, and then we delve into the depths of Reddit to hear about spooky stuff going on over there. So if you like it, go check us out, search wherever you get your podcasts, we need to talk about ghosts. Tatty bye. My name's Kev from We Need To Talk About Ghosts, and I'm going to regale to you some of the paranormal experiences experienced by my mother. Now, she sadly passed on whilst I was quite young, but she is the reason why I have an interest in the paranormal. She was a believer herself, and she experienced quite a few things. Some of those things I'm going to tell you now. So the first one that jumps out is when she was a teenager, she was babysitting her nieces and nephews. And they didn't really come from a well-off area, so when she was babysitting them, they'd all be in the same bed. And she recalls falling asleep one night, but waking up because she could hear one of the children giggling and mumbling. And when she turned around, the child was sat up in bed, staring at a rocking chair which was in the corner... And smiling and nodding and laughing with its eyes closed. Thank you very much. And the chair then started to rock. At which point, Mimum picked all the kids up, ran downstairs, phoned her uncle, who came over with his Alsatian or German Shepherd. You know, the type of dog I mean. Not afraid of anything. And he comes through the door. He marches upstairs with the dog. The dog dug its claws in at the line of the bedroom. So where that metal strip is, which separates the carpet, it wouldn't go any further and it was whimpering. Now, this was the late 60s, and let's just say that animals weren't treated with the same dignity that we treat them today. So he picks up the animal by its fur and throws it into the room, as if to say, what are you scared about? The dog then yelps like it's being kicked runs past my uncle down the stairs out through the front door and is found two miles away completely knackered completely breathless it's not stopped running since whatever it encountered in that room and apparently as the dog ran past my mother's uncle he turned and watched with his own eyes as the rocking chair continued to rock and then come to a stop so what was in that room we'll literally never know A second tale that she told me was when she was buying shoes for her sister's wedding. And my mother's mother died when my mother was about two years old. So she was brought up by her elder sisters. So she never really met her mother in true terms. Um, She had no recollection of her. Anyway, she goes to a shoe shop in Liverpool city centre. And it's a quiet morning. She gets up pretty early. She's in the shop for bang on nine o'clock. It's the middle of the week. Town's pretty dead. She goes into this shoe shop and she's looking at the shoes and she's thinking she's trying to pick which ones. She decides on a pair and through the rack, she sees this woman and she thinks, I know this woman. I don't know how, but I know this woman. Anyway, the woman walks around the counter and says to her, they don't suit you them, love. I wouldn't buy them. Go with the yellow ones. So my mum goes, oh, okay then. And then picks up the yellow ones and tries them on. And as she's trying them on, she thinks, That's kind of a cheeky thing to say to someone that you don't know. They don't suit you. So she looks up and around and this woman's nowhere to be seen. She goes out of the shop and looks left and right. And given the time scale of the woman saying these words, I mean, mum going out of the shop, there's literally nowhere she could have went. But she wasn't there. Now, when she came back and gave a description of what she was wearing and how her hair was, her two older sisters broke down in tears and said, That was your mum. Your mums come and give you advice on shoes to wear for a wedding. So that was another little tidbit that she told me. The final two sort of anecdotes which are rather short from my mother was when she and my dad first moved into their first house which was built on an old ammunition site which was bombed during the war. And it was built as a new estate over this decimated building with God knows how many deaths that took place there. Anyway, this new estate was built. They moved in and there was a lot of mysterious activity within the house. They'd heard people running up and down the stairs, Go and check, there's no one there. And the infamous story she told was of washing her hair over the bath and being slapped on the backside. And she obviously startled, jumped Ran down the stairs to, like, give me dad a load of grief. And when she burst into the living room, my dad was in the back garden. And my young, my elder brother, sorry, who was about six months old, was in his crib. So there was no one else in the house, yet she was slapped on the backside. Now, interestingly, her neighbor at the back of her house used to only do the housework of a night. So she would hoover of a night and she would do all the noisy sort of moving things around and wiping windows and anything she could do to stay active and create a bit of noise, which is the key thing. Because her partner worked nights and as cruel as this sounds, she wanted her children to remain awake until her partner returned home so that she wasn't alone in the house with the kids whilst they were asleep. So she would purposefully try and keep them awake by hoovering about 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. But the reason for this was, when she was alone in the house during the day, things would just move of their own accord. If she tried to hoover around the house, the plug would be yanked out of the socket, lights would go on and off. My mother even went round one afternoon and knocked on the door, didn't get an answer, so peered through the window to see if she was about and looked and seen that she was under the table hiding under the table so she knocked on the window until she got her attention and she ran to the front door and answered it in a big panicky state and said something's in the kitchen it's been thrown pots and pans around I didn't know what to do I froze I jumped under the table and I was just going to wait here until somebody came and um, when my mum and her went and checked as she says there was pots and pans all over the kitchen floor so yeah just an interesting few stories there but as my mother also used to say, it's not the dead we should be afraid of, it's the living. And that is something I truly still believe to this day. She also said, if you want to see a ghost, you will see a ghost. Now, sadly, she's no longer with us, so I don't know exactly what she meant by that. But it probably means it's down to your belief level on what you witness and how you interpret it. But I'll leave you with that. There you go. tatty bye.
0: Hey, we're we're Weekly Weekly Creep. Creep. I'm Adam. I'm Dulce.
1: And Weekly Creep is a show where we delve deep into all of the craziness from the paranormal world and beyond, and also sometimes true crime.
0: And other stuff we just delve into because we think it's really interesting and we just want to share it with you. Yeah. For example, I have a story. I wish I could tell you this was an extraordinary night. Something special happened. Uh, I saw my cat do a backflip, but it was nothing of the sort. It was a very ordinary night. I woke up in the middle of the night, two steps, heels specifically, walking down from the living room into the hallway, which was in my view. And at my feet, I see Porkchop looking in the same direction, alert, focused. Like I don't ever remember seeing her. Unless she's looking at some sort of bottle cap or a spider, but it was none of that. After I'd heard these heels, a memory came to mind. Back a few years ago, my sister used to live in the same house. And in her 20s, in her heyday, she would dress up to the nines and she'd go out. And that's the only time that I'd ever remember hearing heels like that rapidly walking around the house. It sounded like It was 2015 and she had forgotten something and she ran back into the house to grab whatever lipstick or perfume she had forgotten before heading out into the night with her friends. But then I remembered it was 2023. So here I am in bed, alert, terrified, because it was those very steps that woke me and I knew it wasn't a dream. So I turn over and I shove Adam. Because he was dead asleep. And I tell him, someone's in the house. And he turns over, voice is just full of sleep. And he said, Go back to sleep. You're dreaming. And I completely disregard his comment because I know I'm not crazy. And that wasn't a dream. After I figured he'd be completely useless and of no help at all, I decided that I'm gonna put on my big girl panties. And if I find someone in the house, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs and alert everyone in the house. So I get out of the bed and I check every room and I find nothing and no one out of the ordinary. Relieved, I get back into bed and I'm about to fall asleep until I look down and I see Porkchop still Focused in the hallway where I had once heard those steps.
1: I decided I didn't want to tell one of my own personal stories. Rather, one of my family member stories. And the reason why is because this one has stuck out to me for years and years. And I've never heard anything quite like it. So, I'm asking you all, if you have ever heard anything like this, to reach out to me weekly, creep on Instagram and let me know what you think. Way back in the day, sometime in the early 60s, my grandmother and her sister-in-law are walking back to my grandfather's family home. As they get into the neighbourhood, they can see the house not even 100 metres away from them so they decide to cross the road. But as soon as they put their foot on the street, the house is on fire. Or at least the huge bush directly outside the house catches fire instantaneously terrified they jump back on the sidewalk now at this point they're thinking oh my god the whole house is burning down but as soon as they stand back on the path the flames are gone the house is untouched they do it again the flames erupt as if someone's just poured a load of petrol on the bush and the house itself this goes on for an unknown amount of time my grandmother says it could have been five minutes an hour she literally lost track of all time. But eventually it stops and they're able to go to the house. They tell everybody about it and kind of the way a lot of ghost stories go, I'm calling this a ghost story because what else do you call it? It kind of just gets forgotten about, not talked about anymore. Until a few months later my grandfather finds out that his older brother who had lived in England at the time had passed away in a house fire. This event had happened months previously but because there was no telephones or even any family ties, really, back then. Like, once you went to England or America or wherever, for a lot of people, that was it. So by the time the family actually found out, he was already long buried in a cemetery in England. So like I said, I'm not really sure what this story is. I call it a ghost story because I genuinely don't know what else to call it. But if you have experienced or even heard of anybody else who has experienced something like this... Please reach out, let me know. I'm so curious about this. Like I said, you can find Weekly Creep on Instagram to message us directly. If you want to listen to us, check us out on all of the podcast places, Weekly Creep, everywhere.
2: Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts.